Welcome to the Soulless Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soullesschurch.com. Uh, once you turn there, John chapter 1, if you're able, if you could, stand with me. I'm going to invite up Janelle, who's going to come to lead us in our scripture reading this morning. Again, that's John's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's say a prayer. Well, God, we are thankful for this moment we've had together to be together, to gather around you on this really favored holiday, and certainly this meaningful holiday. God, I don't know if we sometimes recognize the gift we have in a moment like this to slow our lives down for a second, to ignore the notifications, the inboxes, the updates, the next thing on our to-do list, and to just be for a minute. To be in the safest place possible, which is in your presence. The reason why that is good news for us and that's hope for us is because of who you are. That as we come before you, even this morning, to reflect on you and the meaning of Christmas, we're coming before the one who has announced good news for all men. Good news of great joy. It's good news because of your love and your hope and your peace, all the things we've been reflecting on this Advent. And this morning, God, we don't want to leave this place. We don't want to walk through our Christmas Eve and our last day before Christmas without experiencing the full joy of what this holiday means because of you and what you've done for us. So God, would you make that true in our lives? May we all truly celebrate what you've done here at Christmas. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I want to just give you a couple things to think about this morning from God's word. Obviously, we are in the early portion of a gospel here and here at Christmas, we're thinking and we're reading here about the origin of Jesus's life here on earth. That's what you should do at Christmas. You know, in the gospels, let me even back it up for a second. In the Bible, the scriptures, 66 books here written by about 40 different authors over a period of 1500 years, about three different languages. Yet there's just like one harmonious story throughout the whole thing. Uh, in the New Testament, the opening books of the New Testament are four biographies on the life of Jesus. There's a lot of opinions out there about Jesus, a lot of views and perspectives, mostly assumed rather than studied and, and really sought after. Uh, but the scriptures give us hand, um, 
firsthand accounts, eyewitness accounts of who Jesus was. I mean, these are his closest friends that watched him live, the the miracles he performed. Uh, These were stories that were corroborated by other people, um, many witnesses to his life. And, And each biography, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and what's the fourth? I mean, that's easy, right, because we just read from it. Now, these four Gospels all give a different complementary angle to the life of Jesus. Two out of those four Gospels, it's Matthew and Luke, tell the Christmas narrative. Tells the story surrounding Jesus' arrival as as an infant. There being no room in the inn. You know the the Charlie Brown story we just actually heard here. We're going to go over it again tonight. But it's John's Gospel that gives a completely different look at what was going on at Christmas. You see, Matthew and Luke, again, they tell a narrative story. Here's what was happening. This young girl, Mary, was miraculously with child by the Holy Spirit and gives birth to the Messiah. There's the whole narrative surrounding it. But John, here in John 1, these verses we read, verses 1 through 9, let me tell you something. This is actually telling the Christmas story here. But it's through a whole new lens. John gives us more, listen, the theology of what's really going on there in Bethlehem. And the theology John gives us leads us to conclude that this is more than just another labor and delivery. This is what John will tell us. Listen, God entering into the story. As it says here in verse 12, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. I like the message translation. God moved into the neighborhood. He became your next door neighbor in the person of Jesus. The word there that he dwelt among us is, a, is, is meant to produce the idea of the tabernacle. He dwelt and tabernacled among us. On the outside, he just looked like any other man. He, he was a hard worker. He was a, a son and a brother. But within the very person of Jesus was God himself. What a mystery. This mystery that God was manifested in the flesh ultimately to save you and I. To rescue you and I. God wrote himself as a character in the story of your and my life to bring us back to him. Jesus ultimately was was born to go to a cross. To pay for our sin. To defeat our greatest enemy in death. And to provide a place for you and I at the table. This is what John is getting at. And what's really cool about John, I like John because he uses metaphor. I'm a simple guy. Sometimes big concepts are more helpful to me when they're distilled down into pictures. Are you with me? Anybody else like that? Like a little image or a little metaphor. And here in John, we have a metaphor that's being used to describe what's going on at Christmas by God entering the world. It's the metaphor, we read it, didn't we? Of light entering Darkness. Light entering darkness. Our key verse there is John 1.5 that says, The light, speaking of Jesus, shines in the darkness. Here's what's going on at Christmas. And the darkness did not comprehend it. Another translation says, The darkness did not overcome it. I can't help but think of the only way that I annoy my wife. There's only one way. Everything else is just a joy and a blessing. 
And it's usually my inability, I don't know if husbands have ever had this where you had to get up in the middle of the night or you have to get up early, you have to make your way to the bathroom. Sometimes your room, sometimes you have kids, so there's stuff everywhere in your house. And sometimes I have to like gamble. It's like, how do I want to risk waking her up? Am I going to trip and potentially die and like get hurt and make a lot of noise? And she goes, what was that, you know? For me, I'm like, anybody else like an iPhone light at night person? Anybody else like that? Does anyone admit that? You're just going to leave me alone up here? Thanks, John. Appreciate it. So me and John, and, and what I've learned about the iPhone light, as much as it helps me not stub my toe or wake anybody else up, is it's, my wife's kind of a sensitive sleeper. So once that thing comes on, we could say that the darkness does not comprehend it, and neither does my wife. She's like, I don't comprehend why you're turning a light on. It's 2 a.m. And the idea there is that even the smallest light in a dark house in the middle of the night, it takes the full attention. It overcomes what's going on. Do you see the idea of what happened at Christmas? This idea of darkness being so powerful, being so strong against humanity. But the only thing more powerful than that darkness is the light that comes into history to overcome that darkness in your and my life. Now, listen, our heart and hope with you being here today is, listen, we genuinely want this for you. Our desire is not any bait and switch, try to get more people in our church or try to check something off a box. Our heart and hope for you as an individual loved and made by God, made in his image, is that you could personally and truly celebrate Christmas. That you, not just in a conceptual way, but in your very heart and life, that you could be someone that says, Christmas is about how God lit up the darkness in my life. How God sent his son to light up what was dominating my narrative. And his light came in Jesus. And not just as a fact of history, but that light coming was for you personally. Now, I wanted to ask this question. Here's what I'm going to answer for us, and then we're going to be on our merry way. It's the perfect day to use that phrase. I want to ask the question, what is required for you today, for me today, for us to be a community or, or a unit of people that are able to celebrate Christmas in this way? Like, what is required of us if we're going to say the light has shined in the darkness and I'm celebrating God for that? Let me submit a couple ideas of what's required. I think the first thing we must do if we're going to be able to celebrate the gift of Christmas is we have to together first acknowledge a distinction. A distinction that scripture makes, a distinction that this passage makes. And it's a distinction, again, between the light and the darkness. That's the idea here of what John's communicating, that there is such a thing. Listen, not as like subjective black and white, kind of maybe gray area, light and darkness. The, the understanding here that's being communicated is that there is, from God's perspective, such a thing as that which is full of light and that which is full of darkness. This is not just a cute metaphor. This is a theme throughout the Bible to describe the condition of God, who he is, and the condition of the world. I think of first with God, I think of the Psalms that David will pen in some of his darkest times. I love Psalm 27, 1, where, where David says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of, of whom shall I be afraid? Often this is the picture in the Bible, light being represented and embodied fully in the person of God himself. He represents that which is full of 
light. Notice what 1 John says. This is the message we have heard from the beginning, and we declare to you, notice this, that God is that which is light, and in him is no darkness at all. I mean, imagine that. This idea of light embodied in the person of God, representing all that which is good and pure and holy. As we know, light gives life, doesn't it? You can't grow anything without light. Light is one of the uh, most basic needs of humanity. We need light to survive. And this is how God is represented, a source of life and goodness and beauty and wholeness. It's even interesting, John says it this way, in him is life, and that life is the light of men. This is what John is teaching here, that, that God is the source of that light that we were created to live from. But inasmuch as there's such a thing as light, John also says there's such a thing as darkness. This is where the light is shining into. There's such a thing, listen, as that which is objectively dark. And if light is represented in the person of God and represents all that is good and lovely and holy and beautiful and right and true, darkness is just the opposite. Darkness is what happens when you turn off the lights, when you remove God. And in its place, when you take God as the source of life out of the equation, what you have instead is that which is broken, empty, void sinful, corrupted. If you live long enough, you will come face to face with the reality of darkness in this world. I think of what David says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You ever walked through that valley before? Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever lived your life before? You know what I'm saying? It's like another way to ask it. The valley of the shadow of death, the, the reality that this world Man, it's, it's filled with some great light. Wasn't that a moment with the kids' choir of just great light? And just beauty and that which is true and pure? And then life is filled with pain and loss and death and heartache and heartbreak and, and bitterness and anger. Mystery. There's a distinction. This is the first step to celebrating Christmas. I'm telling you, this might, by the way, be heavy, but it's going to get good here in a second, I promise. Christmas is good news. we got to start by acknowledging this distinction. The reason why I mention this is actually, it was a, um, an ancient prophet named Isaiah, years ago in the history of Israel, who said this. He said, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. There's a challenge and a charge from this ancient prophet. Listen, back then, that's as relevant then as it is today. The danger to be people that blend together this subjective idea of that which is light and that which is dark. And I just want to say, you and I, not only can we not do that, but we do not have the ability or authority to do that. It's God himself over the world he created. Just like your house, you set the rules. This is God's world. And he's the one that teaches us and tells us what is dark and what is light. So we've got to start by acknowledging the distinction 
that John has us think about. The next thing we have to do, and this is where we're going to face a little bit more darkness here to get to the light. We have to then, next step, face our condition. This is the second part of this. Like someone who can truly celebrate the light coming into the world first has to go, okay, there's light and there's darkness. But the second step is this thing that we often hate to do, which is face the reality of what we see in the mirror, what's really going on even behind the scenes in our hearts and lives, the reality of our condition as humans. As it says there in that verse, it's so clear, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The idea of of this passage is that every single one of us, every human, didn't end up here on accident. But you were created by God. Our race was created by God to walk with God, to have him as the source of the light of our life. You were made for him. It's why your life will will never find its fulfillment in anything else but a relationship with him. Because there's an eternal hole in your heart that only God can fill. Only a relationship with him will satisfy. This is what John says we were created for. In him was life. And that life, notice this phrase, it's kind of like, a tragic look back at what happened when things went wrong with humanity. It was the light of men. It was. What was the issue? Well, Jesus said it this way. Jesus in John 3 is preaching, and he's preaching about why he came. And a lot of people have this view of Jesus that Jesus came to condemn the world, you know? Like Jesus was, was like half meek and mild, and the other half he was like this really angry Baptist preacher that just wants everybody to go to hell, you know? That's the mindset they can have about him. And Jesus makes clear his heart in John 3. And he makes the statement, first of all, I didn't come into the world to wreck your life and condemn you. I came into the world because that was your condition prior to me getting here. Separate from God. Separate from God. Jesus says this. This is actually the condemnation. This is is what's wrong with our race, what's wrong with our condition. The light has come into the world, but here's what happens. Men loved darkness. This is interesting. Rather than light, because in the light, who I am has to be fully acknowledged and repented of. My deeds are exposed in the light. Wow. These are some bold words from meek and mild Jesus, right? This is Jesus speaking the loving truth about where we go wrong. None of us naturally would say, you know, I just prefer the darkness. I'd like all, you know, I prefer to drive at night with my headlights off. Sounds like Mario Kart. That sounds fun. Let's try that out. No, of course. In the natural, we would say we we prefer light. And this is kind of the imagery Jesus is using to say, of course, we were created for the light, but it's our sin. It's our condition. Because of the conditions of coming to the light, we tend to prefer to be our own gods and live in the dark rather than facing up to what's really going on and what we really need. This condition we have, how sad is this to prefer darkness? To prefer darkness rather than light. To prefer a life where I set the rules, where I set the direction, where I set the source and the course apart from God. And you see Jesus saying these words, not with like a furred brow and a pointing finger, but with a broken heart, looking on at the humanity he's come to die for. Saying, I love you, I made you for the light and for so much more. So we got to first, remember the progression here of thought we got to acknowledge a distinction. There's light and there's darkness. I'm almost done here. The second thing we have to do is we have to face our condition, the way that God sees it and says it. 
there is a problem that we have apart from Jesus. It's this problem of our relationship with that which is dark. And I want to say this too, like this is the language of scripture that you and I are not only those who have become casualties of the darkness in the world. Like this is the heavy words. That, that has happened. I know you've walked through darkness. But scripture won't let us off the hook with this. It's really honest. And it's like not only are we casualties of darkness, but we are also perpetrators of darkness as well. That's heavy. That we perpetuate a certain level of darkness. Well, it's good news that the sermon doesn't end here, right? Because we have Christmas. We acknowledge a distinction. We face our condition. And then John wants us to see God's provision. So here's the condition of darkness. And here's God's faithful provision to your and my darkness. He sends the light. Jesus, the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend or overcome it. What a great summary to what Jesus came to do. He came to light up the darkness in your and my life. Ultimately, we know there's a day coming where darkness will no longer loom large over the world. But the Bible actually says this, that in the new heavens, the new earth, the new world that God is creating. More on that on another Sunday. We'll see you next week. That there's not even going to be a need for a physical source of light because Jesus himself will be the lamp of that city. Just the, the embodiment, what beautiful uh, imagery to think about how light will dominate the future narrative. And that can be your hopeful future as well because of God's provision. God sent his son Jesus to shine as a light in the darkness. Now, we're reading this here in the 21st century, trying to make sense of the metaphor. But to those original recipients of what John is writing here, they understood this metaphor. This was a promise that God made, again, from that ancient prophet Isaiah years prior this was God's promise that, yeah, we love darkness. We tend to go over, that, uh, go over that which is darkness. We said, God, we need our elbow room from you. We're going to do it on our own, even though it separates us from you forever. But in that, God is still so loving that he makes this promise. And he says this, those who walk in darkness, look at this promise God makes over your and my life. They have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. This was the promise of Christmas. That darkness will not have the last word, but God is sending a light source in the person of Jesus. And then he goes on to say this. This is the same chapter a few verses later. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is Jesus of history. This is, this is what Jesus was really up to. He was born to bring light into the darkness. In fact, his forerunner, his also cousin, John the Baptist, came to bear witness of that. There was a man who came from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. I love this important detail. This guy, John, like you and me, we're not the light sources. We're more like the moon reflecting the sun. We're not the sun itself. He, he was not the light, but he was sent to bear witness of the light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man when he was coming into the world. This was the message of Christmas. That John came to say, look at Jesus. Behold him, the source of light for your life. And I challenge you to read the Gospels and these biographies of the life of Jesus. And not have your life changed. 
by how much light Jesus is able to bring into dark places. I mean, this is essentially a summary of his life. You see Jesus showing up in the darkest places. I think of the demoniac man in Mark's gospel who's been kicked out of society. He represents the complete dehumanization of an individual who's marked by every ounce of darkness and brokenness, and Jesus shows up there and delivers this man. One of my favorite places that Jesus will often show up and bring light is in the spaces where it's the darkness, we'll call it this, of religion. Did you know that religion can have a dark side to it? Do I even need to ask that question, right? There's a dark side to religious thought and religious behavior and religious people and religious gatherings. And by religious, I mean a self-centered spirituality. A workspace that says, I'm better than you because I do these things and I judge you according to this law. I don't judge myself according to that law. I kind of hide, hide behind it like, a, like a, a, a spotlight of condemnation on you. And Jesus shows up in great spaces. I love this account in the Gospel of John. Look at this. This woman, it tells us, encounters Jesus at the light. It says, early in the morning, he came again into the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down and, and he taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And in that context, many people believe what was really going on is that they were the ones involved in the occasion, if you know what I'm saying, setting her up to ultimately test and, and, and trip up Jesus. So really, they were caught, likely, dehumanizing this individual, treating her like an object, an object lesson, actually. And they take this woman who you can only, you and I could only begin to imagine what her life story is, what her childhood looked like, likely sold into a lifestyle of this to make money for her family, pimped out even potentially by her family. And this woman who in that culture represents the lowest of the value system. This type of woman, she's brought before Jesus as an object lesson by the religious, listen to this, the religious leaders. Maybe you can relate to the dark side of religion making you feel condemned and ashamed. They bring her before Jesus, and the scribes and the Pharisees do that. They bring them this woman, and when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law, I'm not sure if you've ever read the Bible, Jesus, but in the Bible, Moses commanded that such should be stoned. What do you say? Testing him, they said this, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as Jesus is my hero. Look, this is so cool. As though he didn't hear them. So the modern version of that would be like on your phone, maybe like scrolling. Like, did you say something? But here's Jesus, pre-iPad. He's got the floor iPad. And he's doing this. No. As though he did not hear them. He heard them. Jesus wasn't paying attention to the accusations of religion. He was writing a different story. Worth much more attention than these corrupt men using their power and privilege to abuse this sweet woman. So Jesus is there, and here's the question. What is he writing? Many, many different opinions, many, many different debates. He could have been sitting there writing their names out and their sins. I don't know. Could have been doing a stick figure for all that. I honestly don't know. 
But here's Jesus in this moment, not moved by the religious weight that you think is coming upon you from God. Notice the response of Jesus. When they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped back down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, notice this, being convicted by their conscience, the light shines in the darkness and reveals the condition. And notice this, they went out one by one, I think this is an important detail, beginning with the oldest and then to the last. The older you are, the more time you have to be aware of your condition. Do you know what I'm saying? Young people are a little bit more invincible, like, I'm not that bad, I'm a righteous, virtuous person here to change the world. It's like, well, your world's a little broken too, and the longer you live, the more you'll see that. Starting with the oldest and then to the youngest, they begin to walk away. And Jesus was left alone. I'm telling you, something will happen in your life when it's just you and Jesus. The religious noise is gone. All your your obstacles to him are gone. Like at the end of the day, the question is not your religious questions, your, your objections to the church. It's what is there when it's just you and Jesus, this light source. The truth of of who you are and the better news of who he is before you. Jesus stands there. He said, women, where are those accusers of yours? Look around. In other words, no one is left here because the only one left here is me, the only sinless one. Everyone else had to leave. In other words, you're in the same company as them. Has no one condemned you because no one had the authority to but the one who is righteous? She said, no, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, I want you to see the invitation Jesus gives at the final moment here. It says, then Jesus spoke to them again and said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. You see, these religious leaders were pointing the spotlight of condemnation, and Jesus brings the true light of salvation. He shows up, and the light that's upon her, it doesn't destroy her, it saves her. Because though he had the right to execute judgment, this same Jesus, as the light that's come into the world, you know what he's going to do for this woman? The same thing he did for you and me. That light went to a cross, willingly. And he went to a cross to be treated as though he was the primary perpetuator of darkness. He went to the cross and he was treated as though he were you and I so that you and I could be treated as though we were Jesus. To take upon himself our sin. And then there was this ultimate moment where the light of the world flickered out in a dark grave. His followers losing all hope. They go back to fishing. Like We're just going to go fishing. They start to walk away. They start to lose heart. And then the third day later, that flickering light burst forth in glorious light. And Jesus conquered the darkest enemy of all, death itself. And his life, listen, is still the light of men. Because Jesus went to conquer your sin. He went to conquer your death so that you could come from your darkness with free access to the light of his salvation. In him is light, and that light is the life of men. 
Lastly, as we close our service, I'll invite our team to come up for a moment of reflection. We want to encourage you, and I want to ask us today to receive the invitation here. Four things, four progressive things that we, I think, need to do in order to be able to celebrate Christmas as the good news of the light shining in the darkness. We have to first see the distinction. We need to face our condition. And like that moment there with that woman, we're all in the same boat. None of us have the authority to cast a single stone at any other person in this room. We stand as we are before God in our condition, yet we see God's provision, the provision of Jesus as the light of the world who gives you and I an invitation. He goes to the cross, listen to this, to make this invitation over your life. Here's what he says to you this morning on this Christmas Eve. Maybe you were here for a few songs and you thought you'd be at brunch by now, but I got one more thing for you. God's heart for your Christmas is for your life to be changed by the light. God's heart for your life is for you to come into the light. This is actually one of the definitions of who the church is. The church, it's not a building, it's a people who have been called out of darkness into marvelous light. So have you come to the marvelous light? Jesus stands there before you, calling you to be saved in him. And as we have a final moment here of reflection, I want to encourage you to, before you get back into the busy rush of presents and food and all sorts of other good fun and festivities, I want you to take a moment. We're going to leave this verse up on the screen. I want you to ponder where you're at with the Christmas story. What does it look like today for you, listen, to allow a little bit more light into your life? And by a little bit, I mean all of it the person of Jesus. Let's take a moment for silent reflection. Maybe this is not normal for you. You're like, what are we doing right now? We're just taking a moment to pause and just be still. I'm gonna get out of the way now. This is just now between you and God. Take a moment to contemplate your life and what he's done for you on the cross. You know, today you can receive him into your life and be saved forever through a once, once and final acknowledgement of your sin, inviting him into your life to save you. You can say, God, would you save me? Be merciful to me, a sinner. And his response is not going to be that of judgment. It'll be that of salvation. I have saved you through my son, Jesus. Trust in him and what he's done. Not your performance and your works. No one will be able to get into heaven through the access code of good works. But only through what Jesus has done. So are you clothed today in that righteousness, that work of Jesus? Even on your bulletin, there's a prayer of faith and repentance that you can pray. No hype here. If you're not there yet, that's fine. Maybe you get prayer today to, to process some of these things. But if today you sense the risen King Jesus standing at the door of your heart and knocking, inviting you into the light, I would encourage you not to leave here without responding to that invitation. You can pray that prayer there. Or otherwise, church, take a moment also to reflect on what the light means.